Welcome to Moneymaker, the podcast that gives you the tools to enrich your life in every sense of the word. I'm your host, Nelly Galan. Let's get started. Danny Garcia, oh my God. I am so excited to be here with you because as a woman, I just have mad respect for you. But as a Cuban, I don't think a lot of people know that when our parents came from Cuba, they always told us when another Cuban succeeds, we just, <laughs> we're so happy for mm-hmm. other Cubans. You know, I remember when I met Gloria and Emilio Stefan, and I just thought they're so normal and they're so incredible. And having met you, I mean, how can I say even who you are? You're a mogul. You <laughs> are, una, as, as they say, as Mexicanos say, eres chingona, because you are not only an incredible, which most people don't know how hard this is. You're an incredible producer and entertainment executive, but you've done what, smart financial and immigrants do, which is diversify. You've built all kinds of companies. I can't even believe all the companies you have. Not only are you in clothing, you're in drinks, you're in fintech. And then to add the the icing to the cake, you are now the first woman majority owner of a sports league, XFL, which, wow, like... <laughs> That you did that and that you had the guts to take that risk and then convince all these men to come with you and you be the lead. What can I tell you? I'm just, I have mad, mad respect for you. You know, Nellie, first of all, I, that is the most glorious honoring of my work I have ever heard. And of course, it comes from you. And so I have to play this every morning, like before I come <laughs> up and go. Well, you, no, you're right. Because you know what? Even people don't realize that even when you've accomplished everything. And by the way, I left out, I think, the most important part that I want to start with, which is that when I was thinking about you, I'm like, this woman, if I had to explain really connected all the dots of her life, the pain, the good things, the bad, into an empire. And it, but I think it began to me, this is my interpret, this is me being a psychologist. My okay. interpretation of you is it's a combination of your Cuban background and your immigrant status, but also that you're an athlete. You're a professional freaking athlete on top of everything else. Yeah. And I think that that discipline and that desire and that that kind of order that athleticism brings is I think it's really your secret sauce if I was going to say I mean this is my version of it but and I want to start in New Jersey because we both started in New Jersey people don't I always say mad respect for New Jersey because New Jersey has built grounded incredible people Right. And so, so much talent comes out of Jersey. It's so like, besides the toughness, like don't mess with a Jersey girl, there is that laughter. But, you know, growing up, right, second generation in New Jersey from my family, um, just being that in that in that Cuban household with that that family connectivity and that idea that this is an opportunity and we will not take anything for granted. There has to be growth. There has to be growth. There has to be humility. Humility, because when you had to leave your country and start in a new country, there is nothing but humility and gratitude. But then there's also the insatiable drive because you know you have an opportunity, right? The opportunity, many people, they don't have the contrast in life to recognize that what's before them is an opportunity that they may never see again. 
And I think my parents coming over lived in that sort of space where they looked around and they're like, there's opportunity, there's opportunity. And they wanted to make sure that their children, ours as kids, were aware that this this moment, this day you're having, this food you're eating, this you know movie you're going to, or this college uh, education that you have the opportunity to grab is not a commodity. It's not there. And so um, our household definitely held that spirit. And I think I would say, in addition to this, you know, the fact that I do consider myself an athlete of life, this humility and this sort of spirit of knowing what's before me is a gift and I have to give my all to it. It has never left me. It just doesn't leave. It will travel with me throughout my entire life. And I think that's the right way to approach things that are so big and so life-changing. It's less about ego and more about, yes, I can do it with humility because I will learn. I will learn. I, you know, today, so many, we, we watch all these podcasts about happiness. Yeah. And young people all want to know, how can I be happier all the time? And I always say, you know, we forget that we know that bad things happen to good people. Right. And that we, it's not that we have suffered, we have sacrificed a lot and our parents have sacrificed a lot. And I think that to know when something is good, mm-hmm. you have to know that it can go bad and that not every year of your life is a beautiful year. Yeah. Yeah. That's you right. I really appreciate it. Right. You can appreciate the, the, um, and, you know, being in, as we're both in media and entertainment, you know, our job is to tell powerful, good stories and they usually have very much happy endings. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you can be in a space to recognize humanity, what humanity means, the ups, the down, the depth of it, and to recognize that you are not immune from that experience, you know, with the XFL, that experience, all of a sudden I had 500 plus athletes, young men, in addition to the staff and the team and, you know, going into eight different cities and the amount of people that all of a sudden were in my life and who were living through humanity, ups and downs. We had a death. We lost a a trainer with an athlete, just the reality it would it just makes you you never forget the sacredness of the day and when you have the sacredness of the day you can find the joy in the moments but it's just sort of being aware and seeing it and you're right you're right i think i think uh i see that awareness as a gift and i think that there's a lot of young people who don't have that gift in their lives and i think that you who are an athlete and we'll t- i want to talk about that too that gives you a perspective that things don't happen overnight it takes right. many hours, many days, many yeah. months, and yeah. that it's it's consistency and completion. Yeah. And so, and yet you you and I, when we talked last, you told me that you went to college and you weren't that good at school mm-hmm. and you didn't really have a clear path of what you were going to do. So I also want to know which came first, the chicken or the egg? Like <laughs> you were in school. Did you get into bodybuilding then or was it later or how did all that happen? Well, um, so uh, first of all, I was never, let's go back and acknowledge the fact that I was an undisciplined student, right? So I would say I was definitely not a great student. Kind of my, and even at University of Miami, my average was like C plus, which is, and people are always shocked when I was like, no, 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 that's not where my magic was. I actually fell in love with bodybuilding when I was about 14 years old. 
And that was the first time I had seen an image of a female athlete who was a bodybuilder. And I was so enthralled by the power. So I actually had always been an athlete. So I was, you know, I was in track, I was running track, indoor and outdoor. And for some reason, I was that girl running track who was always in the weight room. And, you know, it, it wasn't accessible to me, but I was an athlete in different places. When I was at the University of Miami, I was on the crew team. And the crew team has a very physical training program on the water and on dry land, dry land training, as we would say. So I was training there as an athlete. So, you know, my bodybuilding I was always doing those activities, but I didn't compete until much later in life when I was 40, 42, actually. I mean, that's the other thing that's shocking, that you, st you start competing at 40. <laughs> I mean, that you you just defy actually, all. 42, exactly. Yeah. The, you know what? When I hold on to something, I just, you know, with that moment when I saw, when I was so young as a young teenager and saw that image, I always say bodybuilders, I think the greatest bodybuilders are sort of born where they, and then they have that moment of recognition where they're like, Oh my God, you feel it in your soul. And so even though it wasn't something that I could do the way I wanted to do, I did portions of it as an athlete in other areas. It never left me. And then all of a sudden when there was an opportunity and I'm audacious, audacious enough to say, Oh no, well, I'll go ahead and do it now. It doesn't matter what age I am. I think I have great genetics. So I'm going to go for it. <laughs> you did. And I went and I went for it. Yeah. So, I, so in, when you were at the University of Miami, you studied international marketing and finance. That's correct. So you already have an idea of what you wanted to do. I did. When I was in high school, I actually figured, I figured out my degree when I was in high school. At a young age, I was like, okay, if I can create wealth for my family, I can take care of my family. And and I loved business. I loved, I loved the idea of just enterprise. And, and, you know, I worked, first I worked in a barn and then I worked for a gentleman who sold suits and had his own company. And I was just so enamored of that control. Um, so yeah, that I was, and then I was thinking I was super logical. I was like, okay, international uh, marketing and finance and, and domestic market. I'll get, I'll do that. I'll have both. I'll get, you know, a nice broad <laughs> understanding because the world is global. And in my mind at that time, with not a tremendous amount of experience, right? So I wasn't like experienced as far as like, this is the pathway to do what you want to do. In my mind, I was being like, let me get finance, let me get marketing, let me make sure it's domestic and international. And that made sense to me. Um, so yeah, that was- So that was in that period of, of time, and you said you weren't like, you weren't that into school, but you were doing it. Right. Well, I was, I loved school. I was just not a disciplined athlete, a right. disciplined student, and I was working and I was also an athlete. <laughs> so, right. You had a lot going on. I had, yeah. <laughs> and you meet somebody in high in college. Yes. I meet, well, you know, I actually met Dwayne my senior year in college. So he, because um, I'm sure that's who you're referring to. Yes. Um, we actually, we met in the weight room. We met in the weight room where all the athletes are training at the Heck Center. He was a redshirted freshman because he had gotten hurt. And he was someone who specifically asked me, what's your degree? And I was like, international finance and marketing. He's like, what are you going to do when you graduate? I'm going to work for American Express Latin America. <laughs> he was like, you asked him to this day and he's like, and she completely knew and she had the whole plan. And I had no doubt, you know, when I introduced myself to him, we were at a, at a bar that all the athletes would go to. And I went up and I like shook his hand. I was like, hi, I'm Danny Garcia. Nice to meet you. <laughs> 
<laughs> and, and a great partnership was formed. Yeah, I mean, incredible, incredible. <laughs> so from, but from there you did, from that point, you did go into finance. I did. Yeah. So I graduated uh, and then I went right into Merrill Lynch. That was, I was very fortunate to have sort of, I didn't have to do that, graduate, look for a job, try and figure it out. I was interviewing, I was offered the job and then I graduated and went and was, became a financial consultant, an associate financial consultant, a junior financial consultant. And I think again, going back, going back to those dots of your life, that part of your life taught you. I mean, that's why you know how to negotiate. I don't think people realize they think that when you make films or when you do these creative jobs that they're so creative, but really it's all about putting deals together, putting people together, finding right elements. So how did you pivot from that into entertainment and into really getting involved with Rock's life? So the love of business, when I decided to go work for Merrill Lynch, that decision was because I knew what an incredible opportunity to understand the financial markets. And I, you know, I, it was it was similar to that being in high school and saying, okay, you know what I know? I know that if I have an international and domestic finance and marketing experience, that's going to be beneficial. My Merrill Lynch experience was also that. I was like, this time being spent here is going to give me so much. And I have to say it was absolutely true. Merrill Lynch had a robust training schedule. I mean, where they sent me, they sent me to Carnegie Mellon, you know, seminars and and they shaped me and it was incredible. So I was able, remember the love was, I want to build business. That and that love of building enterprise for the benefit of my family and then realizing it could be for the benefit of even more has never left me. Mm-hmm. And um, even working, you know, with DJ as transitioning from Merrill Lynch and being involved with his contracts or being involved with the WWE, that business acumen that I had translated so well so that we could build a bridge. When it came to his interests, he had someone in the room where I was building a bridge for him. It wasn't just creative, right? Exactly what you said. It was also taking into account the business aspect. And that made sort of the universe of Dwayne Johnson a really, really safe universe because we could align his experience and what he wanted to accomplish with what the studio needed to accomplish or the WWE needed to accomplish or a business partner needed to accomplish. So it was an easy, easy transition to do because I was utilizing sort of all the business acumen and all that information. Now, the entertainment and the creative aspect, that was just me, right? That was a part of who I was very early on. And maybe if I had not sort of had that moment where I was like, okay, if I built enterprise, I could take care of my family. Maybe that pathway would have been explored more, that creative side. I get to explore it now with GSTQ. And obviously as a producer, I get to create it. Um, But that came afterwards. First, it was like, okay, let me take care of business. And then later on in life, I was able to blend both. And then what's wonderful is that entertainment experience lives with all of the other brands, right? So I don't go into GSTQ or ZOA without thinking, what is the journey I'm going to take my audience or my consumer on? I want to deep dive on that later because I want to explain how you a little bit about that because I went deep into all your companies and you're right. They're all like, they're separate but connected. And I think we talk a lot about diversifying and also building kind of an octopus, you know, like a, like a business that's well-rounded. But I want to yeah. go back to, 
your early days because I think a lot of people don't realize we have we all might have someone in our life at, at different levels that are talented that we notice that they're talented but mm. they may not have the right the skills that we have right. and not everything is you being a founder of a company and doing everything yourself sometimes it is partnering with someone else that has certain skills that you can help and you get on the ground floor of that you know I think about I have a stepson who's a professional athlete as well who is a skateboarder P-Rod and oh, he's got, he's a Nike God. athlete of and P-Rod hold on got a step my stepson <laughs> You are now like, you can't even get any cooler. <laughs> right. Well, you yeah. know, and I just, just to, to tell you, I just took him to Aspen Institute to speak because I said, he's about to retire in the next year or two. And I'm, I'm like, and he's built a clothing brand. I'm like, I saw your clothing brand and he's built a whole business. And I said, well, now you have to go and speak to entre- like rich people that are going to invest in your brand. You got to scale your business. And it's, it's, it's the same thing, like finding someone in your life that's very talented and helping them. But also you never let go. What I love about your story is you never let go of your own brand. Right. And you like sort of parallel. I mean, everything you've done, I'm just in awe of you because not only did you marry this man and have a child, then you guys got divorced happily. You're mm-hmm. still working with him. And then you built a parallel track of your own brand, your own athletic life. And your brands are so beautiful and intertwined. The companies in the portfolio are all are there to advance the human experience. Like my, my go-to, which started with advancing my family's life. And then it's like, how am I going to advance the life of either the individuals I touch or the people who are working with me? all comes down to relationship. It is before the numbers, before the metrics, where I can now say in addition to is the end of the relationship. You're, you're, unless you're living in a hut up in a mountain, you agree to do things with people. Like there is no transaction that doesn't happen without another person on the other side to not think that, they are as valuable as you are, or to not be concerned or not even think about the richness that comes from having an experience with them. You're just living this limited life. So yes, I'm. relationships are key. Moving through with elegance is key. You know, I, I don't, um, at this point of my life, I'm very fortunate that I do have great confidence that I can achieve in time the things I want to do. And so that always leads me to ask the question, hey, we're going to get there, right? And a goal, a goal can be a moment in time. But before that moment happens are all the days and all the pit stops and all the, you know, God, so much, everything. And so who's on that bus with you? Who's in that car? Who do you want to turn to and say, well, we just got a flat tire. We need to fix it together. Who's that quality of person and who are you to them? So that's really what life to me, and that's really what business is. Business is humanity to me and being rich in that experience and honoring people. And, you know, I look at redefining, I look at success as so much as a redefined principle. It's not just, okay, what was that return? But did everyone grow? If the company had a 27% return for the year, did every individual have a 27% holistic or financial or some level of return? And if it's very well, no, then, you know, I think you're missing out. And I think there's a lack of sustainability in that model. 
And I think that that's not a life well lived. So now again, well, one of the things I heard you say, and I loved it, so I want you to talk about it is that if you had to describe yourself, you're kind of an athlete of life. Yes. What did you I, mean by that? I, I mean, love that. <laughs> Thank you. And I have to, I have to give props to Pete Berg and his company because it was actually, I was doing the documentary for the XFL. And as I was speaking, I was speaking, my uh, producer on that, uh, his name was also uh, Dave, came back and said, you're an athlete of life. And I was like, yes, I am. And it was so, so first of all, props to them. But it means, what it means is that, you know, the, an athlete has a performance aspect that is doesn't, the win never happens during the race. The win happens before. So as an athlete, all the things that go into the moment of performance are just as important as the moment of performance. And that means coachability. That means knowing that you have to improve and grow and knowing that improvement is not a choice. It is a definite. Like as an athlete, your game has to get better. Your athleticism needs to get better. Your conditioning needs to get better. Like that is part of the journey, the agreement. And so applying that principle to life and whether it's my business ventures or entertainment or my relationships puts you in in the right space, the right mind space. We use the word coachability all the time. The greatest gift that someone can have, or I would say trait, is the highest level of coachability to take in. And it doesn't mean that you give up self or you give up your point of view, but you're continuously gathering information so that you can be more and you can perform more and you can have that victory. And I love using the term athlete because most athletes win the victory, the audience participates in that victory, right? You think of a football game, soccer game, like it's the victory is not usually solo. If it's the Olympics, it's the country. And so there's something really, really, really giving and an incredible amount of parity in that. So I love, I love that philosophy. Well, let's talk about XFL because first of all, I, I I'm so pro emerging sports and I don't know, you know, like that's why I want my stepson to talk to everybody. Cause I go, why are people not investing? Like you could be at the beginning of a sport. Hello. You saw that this thing was in bankruptcy, right? It was started by somebody you knew. Mm-hmm. I, I saw you in an interview say, you know, I thought to myself when he did it the first time, why didn't he come to me and say, do you want to participate? Which right. that happens to us in business, right? That you go, why didn't that person think of me for that? And then it goes, it goes into bankruptcy and you went, right? Absolutely. But that's a big freaking endeavor to take over a league. So what made you A, want to do it and B, you had to put the team, the the A-list team of all life together, because some things that we decided to do, to do in life, even we just can't do alone. No, absolutely. This, I'm going to tell you, the XFL was something going in where I knew I had 42% of that learning curve down. And so, you know, I, I like how I give myself 42, not 40%, but 42. And I knew that there was going to be a lot on the plate to pull it off. Um, first of all, I have a deep love for football. I, I just love that sport. And I love that there's now women's tackle football, professional women's tackle football. All sports carry within them gifts. And the development that goes into football for an athlete is one of the most powerful processes. And, you know, going to the University of Miami, having dear friends who were football players, obviously DJ was a football player as well. Now, I know that life 
very, very from the inside out, I know that life. And so what the XFL represented in the spring league was this opportunity for more. Every play mattered. And I was so enthralled that these athletes, you know, when it was a touchdown, when it was a tackle, when it was a miss, it all mattered because they were getting to extend their career or maybe have an opportunity to continue their career. So I love the looseness of it. I love that there was more flexibility, the rule changes. I thought the, you know, the way it was being shot, there was an incredible energy to the game. The NFL is incredible. And those athletes and those teams are all kingdoms. Uh, so, so distant. And the XFL had this accessibility to it. So in my mind, not only did I love when the New York Guardians came out, I was like, oh, I wish I'd been, could have owned that team. And that's when I was thinking of Vince. But I realized that everything I had done in my life led me and made me extremely qualified to own a sports league that was going to be viewed as a mega entertainment property, which is how I, I looked at this. I was like, right. oh, content, all of the storytelling, what happens when you own all eight teams? Um, and it was just, it was, you know, it was a bodybuilding moment for me. It was like opening up that magazine where it just struck me so viscerally. This idea just took me over. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. And it wasn't, it was so interesting. It was never about I'm the first woman or I'm going to make history or none of those things. I was just like, I can do something spectacular here for the athletes, for the fans. I know a few people who might want to do it with me. I know a guy who may be really excited to do this, you know, and, uh, you know, the first conversation was with my husband, <laughs> Dave, to, to be like, how do you, what do you think? He was like, I love this. And then the second conversation actually was a few with my legal teams, pulling things together, really understand it. And then the call to DJ to say, Hey, you know, this is what we're thinking. This is what I'm thinking. It's crazy. And then we were so fortunate while we were putting together our team, Jerry Cardinal at Redbird Capital Partners was also looking at the property. And what a godsend for a partner like to go into a sports league venture. You, Jerry Cardinal is the rock of sort of sports venture capital. I mean, he, you know, he owns AC Milan, you know, <laughs> he owns the Red Sox, the work that he's done with the Yankees and, and Dallas. And it, it, he's just this incredible partner. He gave us so much. It was the blending of two worlds that came in beautifully. So we were able to put together this incredible team of executives who were so passionate and understood that the league needed a vision and that that vision lived inside of me. And so when I would articulate what I wanted, when I articulated this fiduciary responsibility, this idea that we're going to unleash the dreams that football makes possible, all of these wonderful executives rallied around that and said, yes, that is what football should be. It's been an incredible experience. It has been, I'd have to say, for me, it is the reminder that one powerful decision can change a landscape Everything. like you never imagined. It's interesting, though. It's also very similar to your former life and continued life in entertainment, because I think of you developing the Titan Games, for instance. <laughs> yeah. And I think... People think sometimes with, you know, since everybody's now into entrepreneurship, that you have to be first to market and get the first thing out. And in fact, what I love about XFL is that you're changing. I really love that you change the rules because I think it comes from my TV background, too, that sometimes it's like you have American Idol and then the voice just changed the rules. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the voice became bigger because it was just fresher. 
And right. you can take a sport that exists and you think, well, it's tapped out. There's nothing else to be done. And then somebody figures out there's something else to be done. Yeah. And that's why I say the same thing about skateboarding. I go, my God, it's just even, at, you know, it's at the beginning. Look what, what's happened in new sports, you know, where people are are into investing in new things. So there's always an opportunity. And I want young people to hear in taking an idea that exists and pivoting it yeah. ever so slightly. And it's a completely new thing. Absolutely. And it feels different. We always talk about the fact that ownership changes everything. In football, we specifically discuss that, but that is the same idea as pivoting. So if we were to look at the XFL, you see, you rarely see, okay, in a leadership position, you 99% of the time, there's not a female point of view. No, <laughs> never. Yeah, yeah, they need us to go to the games and they need us to do everything. (laughs) There's not. So that that point of view opens chapters and chapters that have never been read or written. And so, you know, you talk about skateboarding and my husband's such a, I cannot wait to get off of our, you know, discussion here and run down and tell Dave, he's just going to be so tickled. But, you know, that sport has grown incredibly. The talent, you have an influx of these incredible young women. So now you've got- Oh yeah, it's hot. It's hot. So when you talk about investing in that, that's something where, oh, what is that little twist? And it's difficult. It's incredible to watch and it's yeah. difficult to do. And you, yeah, I, you have to, you have to really practice 10 hours or 11 hours a day, which is, which is what it is. That have longevity need to be incredible to watch. They should be difficult to do, but spectacularly visually. And that's what that sport is. It's just, it's incredible. But yeah, if you're passionate about it, what this, any industry that maybe is existing, the street is going to tell you it's been done before. But if you've never done it before and you have a point of view that no one's ever seen, that's a whole new landscape. So I'm with you completely on that. Hold on. Moneymaker will be right back. Let's get back to the show. How about let's talk a little. This is more girl talk about what it's like to be women like us working always in these male fields you know i launched espn in latin america and that was a that was a to-do too because i had all these men telling me i was doing the wrong language and i'm like listen somebody's (laughs) got to make a decision around her tell me i mean i think probably your athleticism has also helped you but how have you just fared in these very male-oriented rooms i gotta tell you the (laughs) first of all i've always over-prepared. If I'm going to give a talk or I'm going to give a speech, I remember my college days practicing and speaking to my stuffed animals for weeks and weeks and going over it. So I learned early on to meet a standard that was my standard, which tends to be higher when it comes to myself and what I need to do and be okay with that. You know, I've been very fortunate that you're right. As an athlete, I have a temperament and sort of a point of view where I do a lot of physical tough things. And that that develops a, a sort of, I don't know if it's a roughness, but it develops an internal strength that I carry, right? Because I can squat 285 pounds. That means something to me. And I, I carry it. Not that anyone needs to do that. But being an athlete put me in a place where I did things, where I tested myself. And I was like, 
okay, I know I can do those things. And you just kind of bury that inside of you, but it walks into the room with you. You know, I'm also very fortunate that I work with great, great individuals. So I have fantastic allies. I know you have some fantastic allies as well and mentors. And I'm vocal about when a room is not a supportive room for me anymore. Mm-hmm. I will pre-plan now with, in, with my colleagues and say, hey, who are we going to meet? Who's in the room? Do they actually understand me or do they think they know who Danny Garcia is? And if someone's like, you know what? I don't think they actually understand you. Then I know what room I'm going into and I have I have allies. That has been in the last two years. <laughs> so I was yeah. like, new space. Since I've had, since I've sort of acquired the X, I felt like stronger than ever. Before that, literally, it was how am I the best in the room? It was literally how am I the best in the room and looking to be the best in the room. Um, and you know, I this is not, I'm not going in as a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old anymore. So I try and go in and not say, am I impressing anyone, but am I going to this room and do I know what the focus is and the goal? And am I laser focused on that? What needs to be accomplished? Not what do they think of me? What do they think I said? All that chatter has just been put away. So I'm going in to do the job. And as I do those things, what I have found is I quickly am able to gather the respect and then I gather my allies. But the awareness of gender bias or micro biases, knowing those things are in the room and being prepared for them and letting them not shake you from what you want to execute. I think that is extremely, extremely important as well. You've also been very vocal about hiring a lot of women, as I have. Yes. And Tell, tell me why. I mean, like we know, but I, you know, why is that so important? And to, and why do we? Why do we kick butt? Because we do. Yeah, they do. My team is so amazing. The uh, you know what's funny too is I love I love that I've hired so much so many women. I also did not set out to not hire men. Really, it was sort of the skill set and the neural flexibility that I needed, the openness. Well put. And- Right. And the ability to do many things that these individuals just naturally all happen to be incredible women, because look, we, we, we speak to everyone, but you know, one of the things that I felt so excited about as a Gen Xer, right. As a woman growing up as a, in the Gen X generation is, you know, was how could I create these, these safe spaces for my female executives without putting on top of them, this expectation of like, this is what a firm handshake looks, and this is what you're supposed to do. And this is how your power position is, you know, let them tap into their natural senses that were so, so very smart and so talented and create a space where their professionalization starts with who they are rather than here's a model. And that model tends to be a patriarchal model. So adhere to that. And by the way, as soon as you start to do that, you're probably going to cut out about 60% of your natural born instincts that are going to just make you phenomenal. So yes, I love, love, love working with the women. I love that my executives are women. I continue to support and promote them. I always will. I do adamantly believe that if I walk into a room and I'm the only woman, this is a room that's a lesser room because there are so many better point of views that are not at the table. And that comes with diversity too, across the board. You know, the world is what the world is, which is diverse and fill women and also diverse. And so to not have tables and leadership tables that represent that, how are you connecting to the people you're serving in? 
It's just and the, and the people that are your customers, right? Exactly. It's just obvious. I want to talk a little tactically because I want people sure. to learn. You mm-hmm. have these very diverse businesses, but they're all interconnected. Right. But I don't think young people also understand that when you get to a certain point, you have to diversify your right. investments as well. And that there are really great reasons to have different companies and different things for taxes, for, for you know, having different kind of a conglomerate of things that help you have a portfolio. I think that's the right word, right? A portfolio of assets and businesses are just as important assets as real estate or a stock or as anything like that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's something that nobody really explains and everybody goes, why do I do that? Why did she do that? (laughs) Yeah. Well, the the diversification is key, right? Every market and every sector has their own ups and downs. I'm very, very lucky where I have philosophically set my hat on advancing the human experience as a main principle, right? An audience consumer first sort of situation. So I don't do, I'm not diversified in that I don't do widgets or things behind, right? I, I touch the consumer, which is really, really important. But who I'm touching and how I'm touching them and what they're consuming, that I want to be as varied as possible. Now, there are the fundamental tenets of you want to protect yourself from different industries and how the industries swing. But there's also the tenet of what I learn here makes me better there, right? Again, an athlete of life. So I'm looking when I'm making an investment or starting a company, it is not just about that business plan and that return on investment. It is literally about what will this experience bring to me and what will I bring to this experience? And I am thrive by having that in many different areas. And I think as if you're, if you're an investor or you're building businesses to not think in that way can begin to limit you, can begin to put you in boxes and maybe not get the point of view. So there's the diversification of truly the assets, but then there's a diversification of you as the individual, the investor, and the entrepreneur. Um, There is a greater level of interconnectivity now more than ever, right? It starts with the digital space and social media, and it drips all the way down. So being spread out, understanding different markets, continuing to put yourself in positions where you're learning and you're growing and you're gathering more information not only makes you a better investor, a better fiduciary investor, right? Over the portfolio and the money or the individuals that you're serving, but it makes sure that you're connected to what's really going on. You're really connected to what's happening in the economy, economy, what's happening to your consumer and a broad array of consumers. So for me, it's just benefit over benefit over benefit, right? I want to stay in a learning space. I want to stay cutting edge. I want to stay connected to the people I serve. I want to be in different places where they go. And diversification does that. And now, and again, like I'm lucky, I get to go up to the top. How are they all connected? Well, they're all advancing the human experience. So that gives me broad, broad leeway. We, the Latinos have had a very tough last couple of years. I mean, all kinds of reports have come out. And I spent my life talking to Latinas and talking to women of color. But I think some of our women of color sisters have done a little bit better in terms of finding their voice. Mm-hmm. So you are someone with a very powerful voice. And as I always say to women, we don't come out of the womb with this voice, you know. Yeah. So yeah. can you talk a little bit to Latinas and like, 
what are like for instance, go, like going into finance, what are the kind of things that we should be thinking about? How can we speak up? How do we find our voice? How do we go, you know, take those risks that we have to take, leave home, not stay home with the Latino parents <laughs> and really go for it like you and I've done. Yeah. The oh my goodness. As soon as you said leave home, uh, that's that that's you know, the 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 first the things that we talk about um you know speaking up having a voice all these things we're starting with fighting a bit of our culture right so that is one of the big challenges like we are there's this beautiful benefit of our culture but then there are things in place that become a hurdle that we personally have to step over right the amount of individuality that is required to be a successful Latina, to, you know, to look at your community behind you, but to not let them define who you need to be going forward. Here, right, obviously in the U.S., we have a limited number of individuals that we can look to and say, oh, yes, oh, yes, that that reminds me that, that I can see that, I can see myself in them. It's one of the reasons why I always say if you're succeeding, you have to succeed loudly so people can see you and be inspired and be like, oh, my God, I can do that. There, she is something similar to me. Um, but giving yourself permission to recognize I may have to step out of some of my community's cultural norms to go ahead and make those first steps. And the reason speaking out feels uncomfortable is for that reason. And that's okay. Um, I think one of the things that are sold, that is sold when it comes to success or growth is the idea that if you have any doubt, that really means something. Having doubt, having fear doesn't need to mean anything. It, you haven't done it before. And that's it. You give it that much effort and then you put it down on the table and you still do the thing. You know, having permission, giving yourself permission to not be perfect, giving yourself permission to get better, right? It's not about being perfect. It's about getting better every day and starting. Mm -hmm. um, then on the flip side, there's just inherent things as being a Latina, the warmth, the connection, the fact that we are so relationship driven, there's inherent things about us that actually are the investment thesis. You know, the, this idea, my, my wonderful partner, Jerry Cardinal said to me with the XFL, when we were first starting, he said, Danny, you are the investment thesis. And I felt so seen because he was saying yes. everything behind you, everything, the way you think, everything that's put you into this place to be making these decisions is the reason why. And my my beginnings were- Because people invest in people, not just in things. Exactly, exactly. So as much as you know, as a Latino, you go out into the community and you're going to see, you know, images of what success looks like and you have to do it this way and you have to do it that way. None of those stories are true. And I think that is probably one of the most exciting things that's been happening year over year is none of those things are true anymore. People are understanding that uniqueness and individuality and coming from a community that maybe doesn't look like everyone else is actually a superpower as soon as you agree that it is a superpower. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to run into bias or gender bias or microaggressions. But those things never have to stop you from understanding that I still have the superpower. Well, to me, I also feel like you're such a great example. And I try to do the same thing, which is that you're 
you are so Latina and a woman of color authentically, and yet you have not marginalized yourself in that space. And I want women to hear that. Like you can be all of that fully and still be in the mainstream and still be, you can make a show that's very ethnic and you can make a, you can make a movie like Jumanji that is international. (laughs) And and I think that's how we should project ourselves. And you're a great example of having done that. And I think it's, it has to be your mindset. Yeah. I think you can be yourself and then remember, and this and, and I'm just taking this Danny Garcia, right? <laughs> and I'm taking her here and I'm taking her there and I'm taking, and the person who has to have the biggest level of comfort with that is myself, not anyone else. The, the, everyone has a story. Everyone out there has their own story. And for me to give value to their story before I give value to my own story is ludicrous. So then yes, you take yourself and you tell this type of story and then you tell that type of story and you do whatever it is you want to do because the common denominator is you, right? The common denominator is me. That's why, oh my gosh, I'm a professional bodybuilder at 42 and oh my gosh, but I, now I have GSQ or look, I have this or I invest in an ice cream company and all those things, the common denominator, me. <laughs> And when things aren't going, and when things in life aren't going right, you have to also take accountability. The common denominator is you. I just love the thing you said about talking to your little animals, because I always, I said, you know, your little stuffed animals, because I always say, if I, Nellie from New Jersey with my little Cuban parents had to go raise money and ask people for millions and millions of dollars, I couldn't do it. But it's almost like an acting job. Like if you rehearse enough, Exactly. And if you watch other people do it and they're like very, you, you start realizing you have to think that you're stock, that if people don't buy into it, they're missing out. Right. And right. Don't, don't we all want to own Apple right at the beginning? Right. <laughs> Are we not <laughs> right at the beginning as a Latina and going back to our Latina community, the, um, the words have not been shared enough. And these are the words that have to be shared for every young Latina is Baby, you can do anything. You you got it all to be everything, to be everything, everything that you want to be. You don't have to do everything, just the everything that you want it to be. And that, that little bit of permission, that, that conversation in the beginning as a young person, I think we have a responsibility always to be continuing to remind people of that and remind people of that. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, not saying it's going to happen overnight, but I'm saying it's not off the car. It's never off the table. It's you can be everything, the everything you want to be. I want to leave us with your daughter because your daughter, I mean, your daughter comes home and tells you, I want to be a WWE wrestler. (laughs) And I know that we're all very like, you know, we all want to, we say yes to everybody, but then your kid comes and you're like, oh my God. So (laughs) how has that been and how incredible because now- She's in a whole generational thing with her dad and her grandfather, right? Yeah, she's a fifth generation professional wrestler. And but also, it's scary as a mom because you you, oh you get scared God. that she's going to get hurt or something. I'm sure. Though so, you know, it was so funny. She, as a young person, probably I think it was about 10, twelve, probably twelve or thirteen. She had wanted to. She thought she's like, I want to wrestle, and I was like, okay. And then you know that went away. And then it came back so strong when she was 15. 
And, and then I, you know, started to take her up, drive her up to Orlando so she could spend summer, do a couple sessions here at the Performance Center, the WWE's Performance Center and NXT. That's sort of their minor league, I would say, is NXT that's on USA. And um, she never put it down. She was so passionate. And she's had multiple knee surgeries that had nothing to do with wrestling. She was very tall and she's had two, her patellas moving. So she personally has overcome so much physically to be able to do what she wants to do. You know, having three knee surgeries is no joke as a young person. Wow, for a young girl. And to psychologically go with that and continue. But she was really, really adamant about being Simone. So even now she's Ava Range. She does not have a Maivia or Rocky Johnson. She doesn't have any of those things in her name. She actually, while she's a fifth um, generation wrestler, she did not go into the business as a fifth generation wrestler. You have to look that up in the bio. You know that she's the Rock's daughter, but she goes in as herself. So she's had this incredible freedom to show up as a female professional wrestler who now today looks radically different than they did 10 years ago where they were all divas, you know, now different body types and they're, and they're, they're themselves and they're there as athletes and she's incredible on the mic. She's an incredible actor. And it's just, it's amazing to see. It is extremely stressful to watch. There is no doubt absolutely different than watching uh, her dad wrestle. But I I believe in her. And this is part of the job as a mom is to strap up next to your daughter and track with her, with her dreams and her goals, and be there for the humanity of what may happen in life and celebrate those wins. And she's, she's phenomenal. She makes me so proud. I love texting her. Are you on tonight? She's like, yes, I am. You know, she's currently in a cult. <laughs> she's a bad guy and she's in a cult. And then just the fun of seeing her character, she does sneaky things and then she gets beat and then she wins. And uh, just seeing her express in that way is it's so much fun. Her, my, well, my husband and I have so much fun. <laughs> wow. I, I just, I'm really crazy about you. I think you're just incredible. And I'm so glad that so many of our listeners get to get to know you because you are really, you know, I, I always say, and I think you and I talked about this. I am so obsessed with everyone knowing all the women that are out there like you that are sometimes we're hidden figures because we've been behind the scenes and some people know us, but some people don't. And for people to see that you can do it and see how you think and hear your groundedness and your solidness is so powerful because, oh, we all, you know, we, we don't see that very often. And I think it's just beautiful. And I'm just, I'm in uh, awe of you. Nellie, you are so sweet. Thank you for being such an incredible ally and advocate. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for being phenomenal and being out there and loud so people can see and get excited. But your support, it means so much to me. Oh, and I'm so excited when we got to speak a month, two months ago, I think it was. And now we get yeah. to do and have some meaty conversation. Moneymaker is a production of Money News Network. Moneymaker is written and hosted by me, Nellie Galan. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. Thanks for listening. See you next time.